Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles open up to the book of Acts, chapter 3, Acts chapter 3. We're going to try to move fairly quickly through Acts chapter 3, because i got to get through the beginning at least of Acts chapter 4. Um, we'll take them in fairly big bites. Uh, this would have been a, a very interesting time in the life of the church. Um, we are just beyond the day of Pentecost. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit into human beings is now very alive and well, is active. We see uh, Peter as being, um, throughout all of the Gospels, the one who was constantly making mistakes, constantly saying the wrong things, constantly um, doing things. Now, from his perspective, he was doing things that were um, that were normal. And, and honestly, I've said many times before that I believe that if we took one apostle and we said, what are we as human beings most like today? We are, hands down, without a doubt, Peter. Uh, most of the time, the Peter of the Gospels. Uh, where a lot of times we have the best of intentions, but the best of intentions are, are even, uh, are, they're misguided. Uh, one example was, was uh, when Jesus told all of his apostles, he said, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem. They're going to deliver me up. They're going to beat me and, and, and kill me. And Jesus steps forward and goes, oh, no, not while I'm around, they're not. Well, I mean, Peter loved Jesus. He, he got to he's got to know him over the last three and a half years attached to him. Jesus just said he's going to be murdered. What do you expect somebody who loves somebody to say and do? Defend him, right? But Jesus' response to him was, get behind me, Satan. The whole reason he said get behind me was, if Jesus couldn't die, then there was no way he could fulfill uh, the expectation of the Father when he came in the first place, or even fulfill what it is that he desired to see in the re- restoration of the relationship. So Peter of the Gospels is a completely different Peter than the Peter we're going to see today. Um, Indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that last talk with Jesus, I'm not sure what it is, but this man changed. Uh, If you remember, the end of the Gospel according to John, when Jesus was at the the seashore, um, and they were all fishing, Jesus shows up, he's already raised from the dead, he's in his... He's in in his, I call it a glorified body, because he was pretty good at transporting himself, apparently. Um... But he was at the lake, and he asked Peter three times. Remember, he said, he said, Simon, son of Barjoma, do, do you love me more than these? Meaning more than these other apostles. He asked him that three times. Remember, I've always said that he asked him that three times because how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Denied him three times. Jesus asked him three times for affirmation about who he was. When Jesus was done with his conversation and started to walk away, he said to Peter, when you get old, they will lead you where you do not want to go, and you will die. So what did Peter do? Peter's not mature yet. Jesus is walking away. Peter's chasing him down. What about him? What about him? What about him? Peter wanted to know how long John was going to live because he was so worried about the fact that I, I guess it was a competition between the two. And you could, you, could, you could actually build an argument for that throughout the entire Gospels between these two individuals and competing for Jesus' um, attention. Uh, but Peter was so immature 
that rather than him say, okay, I'm going to live as long as I'm going to live, I'm going to accomplish what it is that I need to accomplish, that would have been a mature response. But his response was, well, if I'm being told that I'm going to die soon and I'm going to be forced, basically they're telling me I'm going to be martyred, and Jesus' response to him was, what is it to you? If I have him stick around, paraphrasing, if I have him stick around until I come back the next time, what's that to you? So Jesus was constantly having to get on to Peter. How many of you know how Peter was martyred? He was crucified. Now this is the end of Peter's life. This is after his maturity, after his, his grow-up sessions in life. When they told Peter, we are crucifying you to death, you know what Peter's response was? I am not worthy to hang the same way my Lord did. Crucify me upside down. What do you think the Peter of the Gospels would have said? Well, I mean, given that he was capable of denying Jesus three times, that Peter would have been very capable of begging for his life over anything else. Peter changed after the death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to see some pretty big ways that we actually seen this happen. So I'm going to go back just a little bit into chapter 2. Um, and I'm not going to read a whole lot from there. I'm just going to point out a few things. So this is immediately following the ingathering. The ingathering in the book of Acts chapter 2 is, is uh, an ingathering of 3,000 individuals who had accepted Christ and joined the church in one day. 3,000, one day. There are three places in the, in the book of Acts that points out the additions of individuals uh, to the church. There was one day that there was 1,000 added. There was one day that there were 3,000 added. And there was a day that we will get to in uh, the next chapter where there were 5,000 people that were added to the church in one day. 1,000, 3,000, 5,000. One day. One day. Peter has now had his, his uh, final meeting on earth with Jesus. He has been established by Christ as being one of the 12 who would start the New Testament church. And he is doing so. Um, so in chapter 3 is where we're going to start reading. Verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. A certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, Look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. And with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, we're getting into a situation here that uh, it's, it's important, I think, for me to, to explain the political atmosphere at the time. Political atmosphere was very high-strung at this point. 
Um, they had uh, the Jews who it looked like by the Romans were trying to seize power because you have this huge swing even away from their traditional king and a swing towards Jesus Christ who they believe is the Messiah. In Judaism, the Messiah is a king who comes and conquers. In Christianity, we have a king that comes and conquers. He just doesn't come conquer with missiles and guns and tanks. And he, he come and conquered with a baby. So they missed it completely. They missed it entirely. Well, the fact that they missed it raises um, tensions in the area. So you got the Romans. Uh, Caesar's not there. Caesar's the ultimate person that's in charge. Um, governors have put it into place. The governor that was in Jerusalem at the time was Pontius Pilate. And you know what kind of a volley game they played with him during Jesus Christ's arrest all the way up to his death. They volleyed him back and forth. Nobody wanted to deal with him. Why? Because he was a political hot potato. That's why. He was absolutely a political hot potato. If the Romans crucified Jesus, the Jews out, out, outnumbered the Romans 10 to 1 in Jerusalem. So what's the, what's the possibility for the trouble of a governor if you make a decision to crucify a person that, that a whole bunch of people are beginning to believe in, and then you have a nation that's completely divided against itself, and Rome has been put in the middle and has to make the choice about the consequence. And they had to make the choice. This is why Pontius Pilate, when he ultimately was going to do the crucifixion, what did he do? He washed his hands of it, didn't he? Because as Romans, he had to carry out the desire of the people or there would be an overthrow. But he also had to make the people know that didn't want Jesus crucified that it was not what he wanted in order to prevent an overthrow. So now this guy, Jesus, all of a sudden, he's vanished. He's not in his tomb anymore. Now they have a political hot potato with these 12 guys been running around three and a half years finding out and saying, and Jesus saying to people in public that he's going to raise from the dead. They kill him, crucify him, put him in the grave, and the next day, all of the guards are passed out on the ground, the stone's been rolled away, and the tomb is empty. We've got to fix this. I mean, to the Jew, this adds validity to Jesus Christ being the Messiah. They can't let that happen. They will lose their shirt if that happens. And the Romans, why did they have so many guards in front of it in the first place? Because they were worried too. They were trying to make sure that nobody stole that body so nobody could say that he rose from the grave. Because all that does is inflames everything that's going on in the area already. It is absolutely a political hot potato. Absolutely. And the evidence is in the whole arrest. If you look, the evidence is all over it. Nobody wanted to touch Jesus with a 10-foot pole. Even the people who wanted to see Jesus dead didn't want to kill him. They wanted the Romans to do it. Political hot potatoes. So now, these two guys, who it's fairly well known, hung around with Jesus all the time, walk past this dude who has been sitting by this gate all of his life. The people, when they went into the temple, they always seen him, they always recognized him, they knew who he was. And when Peter and John goes by, Peter says, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. And he gets up. And he walks. 
So remember, we're still in the middle of this political hot potato. The Romans are trying to find Jesus' body. The Jews are trying to find Jesus' body because that's the only way that they can discredit the fact that he rose from the grave. And then here comes these apostles who all of a sudden take this lame man in public and they didn't just say, get up and walk. What did they say? They used the political hot potato, the name of the political hot potato, and they even give credit to the political hot potato just a little bit farther down. I don't have silver or gold, but what I have, I will give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Walk. What do you think the Jews did when they found out that Peter and John are out there healing people in the name of Jesus? Again, they're losing their shirt. This is a competition to them. This is about money. It's about income. It's about, it's about entertaining history in such a way that you make people open their pocketbooks. Sad to say, that's the way many churches are these days. People are much more willing to pay for entertainment, right? Look at verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man, whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him his perfect this perfect health in the presence of you all. Um, does that sound like the same Peter? Does that sound like the same Peter denied Jesus three times? The king of righteousness whom you crucified, who you put to death, who you killed. That doesn't sound like the same Peter, does it? All of a sudden, he became bold. But he came bold not for the sake of just knowing that he knew God, beating his chest. The source, folks, I want, you to, I want you to see the one common denominator throughout this entire passage of Scripture. Who was the source of healing? It wasn't Peter or John. It was Jesus. Right? The source of salvation, the story that he's telling? Jesus. How many times do we avoid conversations because we're afraid they'll be awkward? I mean, even if it's the truth, even if it's the truth, and, and you know, you're not trying to be mean, you're trying to say it as nicely and as accurately as you can. How many of you guys, how many of you guys in here respond well to someone saying, you, 
and even potentially pointing. I mean, I can tell you in counseling, one of the one of the uh, cardinal rules of counseling um, is try to go through a conversation with somebody without using the word you. And at the same time, you got to try to go through the whole conversation without using the word I. So no I and no you. Because I is selfishness uh, and you is uh, condemning. When we see a gospel presentation that's being made in this atmosphere. And folks, we, we know the history. We know the history. We know that in 70 AD, this was again around probably 35 to 40, 35, somewhere between there, AD. Uh, we know at 70 AD, all of the Jews were driven out of Jerusalem. We know around 45 AD, the, persecu of the, church, the persecution of the church started. We know just beyond 70 AD was when they opened up the Colosseum to watch Christians be torn limb from limb, from horses, split from here to here, poured full of corn, tied to the ground, let hogs eat the corn out of them. There were, had all put Christians in the Colosseum, let a bunch of lions and tigers go with them. Uh, and people were entertained by just watching all the many different ways that Christians could die. Uh, we're afraid to be called a name. We're honestly afraid somebody's going to say something mean to us. Here's Peter knowing that they just crucified Jesus for the positions that he held. Jesus is holding the exact same positions, and he's speaking these positions out loud publicly. Do you think he's most concerned about his own health? His own well-being? He could have a couple of reasons for saying what he said. One, he wanted to make sure that people didn't credit him with the ability to heal. And I want you to see as I read through the rest of this, the gospel presentation that Peter puts out here. It'll give you a huge explanation as to what kind of response or why they got the response that they had gotten. Um, verse 17 says, And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus to Christ, appointed for you from heaven, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Moses said, The Lord God shall rise up for you a prophet like me from the brethren. To him you shall give heed in everything he says to you. And it shall be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly de destroyed from among the people. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announce these days. It is you who are the sons of the prophets of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you first, God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. How is, how is turning us from our wicked ways blessing us? Well, I mean, it's a pretty elementary answer to that question. We all know that when we do things in life that are good for us and things that are bad for us, and a lot of times the things that are bad for us are fun, right? And sometimes we'll even, we'll even accept the consequences of the bad in order for, for us to enjoy the good. 
right? Because we're human beings. We're pleasure seekers. That's what we do. Without a doubt, in my mind, I'm a better husband because of Jesus. I'm a better dad because of Jesus. I'm a better grandpa because of Jesus. I'm a better employee because of Jesus. I'm a better friend because of Jesus. There's, there's not anything that I could mention that I can't say isn't better because of Jesus. So yeah, turning from our wicked ways is a blessing. Too many people look at Christianity like, oh man, I'm going to become a Christian. I can't drink anymore. Can I be honest with you? I have no desire to be drunk. I haven't had a desire to be drunk since I was a teenager. 16, as a matter of fact. No desire. I have no desire to, uh, to do drugs that aren't for a medicinal purpose. I have no desire whatsoever to cheat on my wife. I have no desire whatsoever to lie to my friends. I have no desire whatsoever to steal from Walmart. No desire whatsoever to go in a restaurant, order water, and get sold out of the fountain. I, I have no desire to do those things. None. So people, when they approach it, they're like, oh, man, that's a bummer. You're a Christian. you got to quit everything. There is not one thing in my life, folks, that I've quit that I hadn't wanted to. When you do something in life, you, you know, I'm sure you've all heard and doctors say it all the time. I've used it on my kids. Hey, Dad, it hurts when I do this. Then don't do that. It's the same thing with life. We learn things. And when we go through things that hurt us, conviction of the Holy Spirit is God actually saying, I want to take that hurt away from you. And I want to take that hurt not only away from you, but from the other people that that is hurting. That's a blessing. It's a blessing to hear the voice of God. It's a blessing to hear him say, everybody, all of you human beings, you have wicked hearts in your chest. You are incapable of righteousness. You are incapable of perfection without my help. Not my help. Jesus' help. We all act like God is up there with, with this stick, just waiting for us to make a mistake so he can crack us between the ears with it. I have an uncle in Mississippi that used to, he, uh, he used to breed, uh, breed stallions. And I watched him break one of these stallions one day. He climbs up on this horse's back with a gun barrel, a shotgun barrel in his hand. Just a barrel. Climbs up on this horse's back, and this horse, horse starts to rear up. And he took that gun barrel, and he cracked that horse right between the ears on top of its head. Every time it started to raise up, he'd crack it. Well, that's the way they trained him down there, because if a horse thinks it's going to get cracked between the ears every time that it raises up, guess what it won't do? Even a horse is smarter than we are. If it hurts, don't do it. If it hurts, don't do it. And I can promise you that there is no sin at all in the world that is harmless. There is no sin in the world that's harmless. He wants to turn us away from our wicked ways. Not forcefully. He desires to see us be people who desire to see him. And if we desire to see him, we want to do what's pleasing to him. And the bonus is everything that's pleasing to him is pleasing to every other human being that we're around. It has a universal application. Chapter 4. As they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard, and the Sadducees came up to them. 
being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, I want to explain to you, there were two basic different sects of Jews at the time. Um, there was the Pharisees, which we hear a lot about, and then there was the Sadducees. The Pharisees believed in a resurrection. They believed in angels and demons. The Sadducees, you see, they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. So the best way to remember that is they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. They just think that once life here ends, it's just over. I guess your body just goes back to the ground and your soul just materializes the many particles and dissolves into the atmosphere. I'm not sure. Maybe it's where the earth gets its ozone. I'm not sure. We are um, looking at the problem being the preaching and proclaiming of Jesus Christ. It, it just doesn't happen the way that it should happen. Now, Peter, he just pretty much gave it to these guys. But the Sadducees are upset because Peter was preaching the resurrection from the dead. Now, he's not complaining about the dude being healed yet. He's complaining about um, the statement about the resurrection from the dead. So the Sadducees are. Did you know that none of these groups of people got along with each other? I mean, it was literally like people are like, oh, the world is such a mess today. We can't get two parties to get together on anything. That didn't start in 2000, just to make sure everybody knows. That did not start in the year 2000. That was going on way back then, too. Pharisees and the Sadducees hated each other. The Sadducees had more money than the Pharisees. The Pharisees, or the Pharisees had more money than the Sadducees, but the Sadducees had more influence than the Pharisees, and they were always in competition with each other. But do you know what brings evil together? A common cause. And throughout the Gospels, you will find riddled all throughout the Gospels that Jesus will be attempted to be trapped by a Pharisee, then he'll be attempted to be trapped by a Sadducee, then he will be tempted to be trapped by a lawyer, constantly trying to trap him. These guys were all together because he was a threat to every one of them. The truth is, folks, Jesus Christ, he's a threat to every negative thing in your life. It's a fact question is, how will you respond? Will you respond like a Sadducee or a Pharisee? Or will you respond like a Peter or a John? Because those are the things that will determine exactly how much the world is affected. Verse 3 says, They laid hands uh, on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Now, 5,000 in the Bible, back then, um, and even in the Middle East today, it's the same way. Women didn't count, and kids didn't count. Um, I agree, totally wrong. But every record we find actually says, now I'm pointing that out to say this. When the Bible says that Jesus fed 5,000 men, how many people is that potentially? Well, if most of them are married, you can double it. And then if any of them have kids. So we're talking about potentially 10, 15,000 people. Same way here. 5,000 men added to the church in one day. So you add women and children to that. How many people were added to the church in one day? Now you may say, wait a minute. 
But Peter and John just got themselves thrown in jail. Cost and benefit. What was the cost of them being faithful? They go to jail. The world's not going to treat you very well. It's just a fact. It's not going to treat you well. It hates Jesus. Every carnal fallen thing in the world hates Jesus. It hates him. And it hates him because it's the one thing that the fallen world can't touch. It's the one thing it can't redefine. It's the one thing it can't change. So it will fight and, and fight every individual who represents him in the world that we live in today. I mean, honestly, when, when you look around the world, when you're not finding stuff that is blessed by God, what is there that's encouraging out there? I mean, to be honest with you, I've always been one of those guys who, if Jesus decides to take me home, take me home. But can I tell you that that's becoming more and more affirmed as the world gets more and more, its cheese slides off its cracker. Because I'm telling you, it's cheese sliding off its cracker. When we got people telling us to ignore basic biology, we have people who are, it doesn't matter what's real, it doesn't matter what's true, it doesn't matter what are facts, it doesn't matter. What matters is what I think. Got to a discussion with a guy one day, and he's like, what do you think about it? all these people that, that say that, that they're something that they're not? And I'm like, you know what, if this goes off, I'm, I'm, I'm registering as a grizzly bear. Because nobody can stop grizzly bears from killing deer year-round. I mean, how many different things can you be? If, if it's just a demand for me to say, you know what, the truth in biology doesn't matter, I'm just going to stand up here and spout off some baloney and, and expect you to believe it. And not only to believe it, but then to take that distorted lifestyle and press it into your brain so you can call me by the pronouns I'm comfortable with. It's ridiculous. People don't come to know Jesus Christ by coddling them. They don't. The dude, how does it make sense for a dude to stand there who's headed for hell and me to go, you know what, I'm not going to tell him about Jesus because I'm afraid I'll offend him. The, he's going to hell. He's going to burn for an eternity. And you're afraid to offend him? Because he may call you a bad name. Be a little ugly. Verse 5 says, it came about on the next day. The rulers, elders, scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. Ananias, the high priest, was there. Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of highly high priestly descent. Hey, who's Caiaphas? Caiaphas is a dirt bag that snowballed the whole thing about Jesus being crucified. Who's Annas? He was the high priest at the time, actually took over um, for uh, Gamaliel. So we're talking about some powerful people here, some, power, some people who are actually very, very influential when it comes to, uh, when it comes to them politically pressing, uh, putting pressure upon the people of, of Jerusalem. It says in 7, when they had placed them in the, in the center, they began to inquire by what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, 
as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. Question. Peter addressed the people in the general public the, 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 in a completely different way than he addressed the people who were considered the leaders of the modern world in that day. Did he soften it for them? Whom you crucified, and now he's pointing his finger, Caiaphas. Could you imagine how uncomfortable Caiaphas would be at this point? He's the one that was telling Pilate, crucify him. He's telling the crowd, tell him to give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. He's winding the people up. Now these guys have been arrested. They're arrested. They're in the submissive position, set in the center of the crowd. They start asking them questions. And what's the first thing out of Peter's mouth? Whom you crucified. Finger right in the eyeball of every one of these guys. Didn't care about the authority. You know why he didn't care about the authority? Because he spoke by an authority that was greater than any authority that sat in that room. And he knew it. We can say that he spoke by the greatest authority in the universe. But it has zero value unless we know it. Because if we know that our God has authority, we won't be afraid to share the gospel. We won't be, able, we won't be afraid to point out wrongs being done. We won't be afraid to point out idiocies, things that are just crazy off the wall. The lifestyles, the culture, there's so much for us as Christians to be talking about today, but we aren't talking about it. Why? Verse 8. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Peter is saying this to the most powerful Jews in Jerusalem. I guarantee you they wanted to hang him immediately when that came out of his mouth. Because it's one thing to say you believe in Jesus. It's another thing entirely to say that every person on the planet falls under the exact same expectation. No other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Confucius can't get you there. Can't get you. Allah can't get you there. Um, Buddha can't get you there. Can't get you there. Satan can't get you there. The only one who can get you there is Jesus. And he's saying this to individuals who are finding it very hard to believe. And they wanted to kill him for it. But did Peter stand up there and be mean to them? He gave them the truth. Unmanipulated truth. Straightforward truth. You know what bugs me? When people beat around the bush. And it, and it can only be one thing. I mean, it can just be one thing. If somebody, hey, what are you doing Tuesday? Don't ask me what I'm doing Tuesday. 
ask me what you want from me. If I've got the ability to do it, I'll do it. Don't ask me what I'm doing Tuesday. I don't fall for that more than once. Hey, you do me a favor? Sure, go clean the toilets. Now when somebody says, hey, will you do me a favor? I go, mm, tell me the favor, and then I'll tell you why I'll let you do it. As a kid, you definitely don't like cleaning toilets. It's one of those things that, hey, will you promise me something? No, not until you tell me what you're making me promise, right? Don't be around the bush. Be a straight shooter. There's a fine line there. But folks, the truth can't be whittled down to fit into just a normal conversation. It's not supposed to be part of the conversation. It is the centerpiece to the conversation. It's the reason that we find ourselves face-to-face with individuals. I might get you out a little bit early. I ain't making no promises, though. Verse 11 says, He is the stone which was rejected by the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Look at verse 13. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John, they understood that they were uneducated and and untrained men. They were marveling and began to recognize them as been having been with Jesus. He's just proclaiming the gospel. All these people are sitting around watching him proclaim the gospel. I'll ask you a question. You knew it was coming. Somebody watches your lifestyle on a regular basis. Is there any way under the sun that they would say, it is absolutely obvious that you hang out with Jesus a lot? That's my goal. Who knows? Maybe at some point in my life I reach those goals. You don't really know because people don't come up and tell you. But when we desire to live a life that's pleasing to him, it has a positive effect on the people around us. It's completely to be absolutely affirmed. This Jesus, what, what... Why does he catch such a hard time? I mean, I've honestly asked atheists. I've asked Satanists. I've asked them, tell me honestly, what is your problem with Jesus? Is it that he promised to let you live forever? Is that the problem? Maybe it's that he said he'd never leave you or forsake you. That's the problem. Is it that he loves you so much that he gave his life for you? Is it that he's promised you strength when yours is gone? And that strength being greater than yours was? What's the problem? I've said here many times before, if you are dying of thirst and someone brings you a glass of clean water, do you punch them in the nose? Does that make any sense? Nobody Atheist, Satanist, anybody can give me one bad thing about Jesus. And I'm talking about the way that the the way that his existing affects the earth. Not one person can tell me one bad thing about it. They want to bark on about religion and its and its use in history, and they want to bark on about everything under the sun, about their problems with human beings who are in control of religion. There is nothing that Jesus has done. There is nothing that Jesus has said. 
People are like, oh, well, if there is a God, he's going to send me to hell and burn. You're quite capable of sending yourself to hell. If you sit in the center of a burning room, and there's a door in that room, and you choose to sit in that room and burn, whose fault is it? It's not the person who put the door in. It's not their fault. be different if you picked favorites if you chose who get to go to heaven and got to go to hell the truth is folks we all started in the same place there wasn't one of us that God said hey you know what you're my favorite so I'm going to actually touch your mama's belly and make you a believer before you're even born it's not how he operates uneducated, untrained. How many times have we used the excuse because I don't know how? Isn't that the definition of uneducated? So the next time that you feel the urge to say, I don't know how, I want you to remember Peter and John were uneducated too. They were uneducated too. Here's what we have, folks. We have a world full of individuals who fall under several different categories. There are people who trusted in Jesus when they were little, never darkened the doors of a church again in their life. There are people who go to church on Christmas and Easter. I like to call them creasters. Sorry if you're a creaster and that's offensive to you. There are the people who come all the time but don't really do anything. Then there are the people who come all the time and do everything. And the question really comes down to this because I want to tell you something. If Jesus has never told you to do anything inside this church, I don't want you to do anything inside this church. It's a fact. I don't want anybody doing something in the church because it, it's, a, it's a spot that needs to be filled. I don't think it's the right way to do it. We're supposed to have faith to believe that if there's a vacancy, God already has a person in the church. Whether that person's faithful and steps forward is completely up to them. But God already has a, a person in mind to, to fill those, those vacancies. He already has them in mind. Have you ever done anything in your life that was destructive? As much as that may satisfy us when we're angry, what positivity came out of destruction? It doesn't. You see, this is, in closing, about two men who gave their life to Christ struggled as all of us do as we learn and as we figure this stuff out and i'm telling you folks i've been at this for a long time and and in sermon preparation alone the number of bible study hours that have gone into my lifetime are massively innumerable and i've i've told people before one thing through the seminary classes one thing through all of my bible study time that is continually affirmed to me over and over again the more that I learn, 
the more I realize I don't know. And I believe that if we live to be 100 years old and we read our Bible every day, God teaches us something. The question really is, one, are we desiring to learn it all? When's the last time we opened our Bibles? What's the condition of our relationship with Jesus? Because that has everything in the world to do with whether people around you can recognize whether you've been with him or not. We all get in funks. We all go through points in times in our life where we fall away. We all go through these points in time in our life where, and, and I tell you what, folks, you can fall away and still be here. Do you hear me? You can fall away and still be here. At this time in our lives, we are facing more challenges and struggles on the health side of things, the financial side of things. Uh, it, it's, it's, the world is getting rough. I could preach a whole other sermon using that as a leaping board, and I won't. Know that there are people in this world who are genuinely hurting and who have been spending much of their life looking for the answers. Some people found the answers a long time ago. They've just been looking for a different one. And it usually takes some time, but it affirms to them that there is no replacement. Jesus Christ wants to touch your life in the same way that he wants to touch everybody else's. And as I've always said, it's amazing to me, makes no sense to me. He chose us to be vessels for that message. He does all the work. He just chose us to be vessels for the message. This to me is amazing. And what's amazing is, to me, in this particular scenario, in order for people to recognize that these two had been with Jesus, what else did they have to recognize? Jesus. Jesus stirred the crowds, folks. Peter and John stirred the crowds. They were arrested for what they'd done. How many times was Paul arrested? Um, all of the apostles but one was martyred. And the one that wasn't martyred, they tried to martyr by boiling me in oil. He actually lived after being boiled. And could you imagine with the medical advancements of 45 AD being boiled in oil and living? I mean, these are people that thought when you got sick, they could drain your blood and the sickness would come out with your blood. And they're dealing with third-degree burns through over 100% of somebody's body. I could not imagine how painful of an experience that had to have been for John. And I hear people all the time, oh, Jesus would never make me go through that. There's no evidence whatsoever that you will not be martyred for your faith, if it's real. There's none, no evidence that it won't happen. Because to every person who made Jesus a big deal, they were martyred. The question is, are you okay with that? truth is I've said enough things in my life that were not good that got me in trouble that I'm kind of enjoying saying the things in my life that are good that get me in trouble there's just something different about being in trouble for the right reason and there is such a thing 
You guys know there's such a thing as being in trouble for the right reason, right? Have you ever been so nice to your wife that eventually she got fed up and said, would you just stop it? If you haven't, you try that sometime. I mean, these women, they think, you know, they, they, they're all, if my husband never does anything for me, you just start doing everything. Bug the tar out of them. I mean, just bug them with everything. Flowers every day, cook them dinner every night, wash the dishes for them, rub their feet. Just don't leave them alone. I mean, 100% of the time, just consume them. 24 hours. 24 hours. Maybe some a little longer. They'll be saying, would you go do something else? The goal of life for a Christian. To have everybody in the world to recognize us as having been with Jesus. If you're here today, you've never placed in your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. And I'll say again, don't do it because I'm asking you to do it. If the Holy Spirit tells you that you are to make a choice today, a decision today, then you make sure you see me before you leave this place. You come forward during the invitation time. You can wait till after church. The Holy Spirit impresses up on you. Uh, you be sure you see me before you leave this place today. If you're here today and you are a believer, we're all on this path, folks, and all of us are on this path in a different place. This path, it leads us all to the same place, but our paths are all different that we walk to that destination. And we face different struggles and challenges and difficulties. And uh, it's, it's a hard world to be a Christian in. It, it is a hard world to be a Christian in. Uh, but that should be our, our number one desire. Uh, wouldn't it be great for everybody who sees us to be able to say they recognize us as being with Jesus? Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.